Um, this morning, we are uh, continuing this series we started last week called We Are at War, talking about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And uh, we're, we're in the passage in Ephesians 6, really going to slow down a little bit starting today and really d- dive deep on each of these different pieces of the armor that, that Paul recommends to the church at Ephesus that we put on to go to war every day. Um, and, and you might remember, or if you weren't here, that, that those words, we are at war, that's a literal picture of, uh, of something we wrote on the whiteboard six, seven months ago upstairs as we were brainstorming a, a different sermon series. We erased all those notes, and for some reason we just left that up there. And, uh, and so it was still there. And, um, and, and just as we talked to you all, man, we can sense the enemy's attack in so many of your lives and your families and your marriages and the... the the, the things that you're struggling with. And, um, and so we just wanted to take an honest mi- minute and, and, and spend six to eight weeks here looking at what Paul says. How do we prepare for this? A reminder that every day we wake up, the, the, the enemy is literally uh, going to battle, going to war against those who have chosen to follow Christ. And it's not just at war against you. It's at war against Jesus. You just chose to put yourself in Jesus and became part of this war, of this battle that is going on. So we have this, we, we know we can rest in victory, right? But last week we learned that the struggle is real. While we're walking on this planet, we are just pilgrims, right? Our home is an eternity, and we're going to struggle. We're going to fight Satan every day uh, in our lives. And we said sometimes it's with struggle, sometimes it's with plenty and complacency and comfort. He comes in all kinds of different ways in our life. This morning, the title of the sermon is Truth. We're going to talk about the belt of truth, and, um, and, and so truth, and what I think Paul's really saying is, in our life, in our world, we're going to follow Jesus. We've got to know what's real. Man, that's opening a can of worms. We can't dive into all that this morning, but we're going to take a stab at some of it. We've got to know what's real in our life, in our culture, um, and we've got to, know, got to know truth. Is what he says, the belt of truth. Speaking of knowing what's real, anybody go to Hillbilly Days this weekend? <laughs> I got, some, got some went to Hillbilly Days this weekend? Uh, you go to the, the craft, the arts and crafts center in the parking garage, and you, you walk through and you see some handmade things, and then you see some of this, and I didn't even know what kind of purse this is. I, I, I found out earlier it's a Louis Vuitton, right? Some of you knew that was a Louis Vuitton. Um, is it a Louis Vuitton? Got to know what's real, right? Somebody said, yeah, that thing would be about $3,000. And uh, Hillbilly Days, it's eighty <laughs> on sale. It's a good deal. And so what, what you're going to find in our culture, in our life, like people are going to present things to you as truth, as real. And, and unfortunately, man, our culture, really the enemy has got us to a place uh, where, where we've really gone on a, a, a complete assault and attack on absolute truth. I'm going to talk about that for a minute. The things that something can be absolutely true, and it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not or whether you accept it. Uh, they've really moved to a, to a place where, where you'll hear them say things like, well, she shared her truth. Or they'll say, tell me your truth. What, what has your experience been? And, and they've moved it from a reality that this is actually absolute in how it is to, eh, just whatever you think, however you feel in the moment, whatever your perspective 
is. And it, and it speaks deep into our morality, okay? But just like this purse, man, you can believe all day long it's real. And I'm sorry if you spent $80 this weekend and thought you got a steal. But there's things in life, you're going to have this, this knowledge. You're going to know some things. And what we're going to talk about this morning is how do I discern what's just a belief and what is true? Because you could believe all day long that purse is real. Like just have fun believing it. The truth is, it ain't, okay? And no matter how much you believe it, it's still not real, okay? What the world wants us to get confused about, what's right and wrong? Is this right? Is this wrong? And they, they get into morality and what is evil and what is not and is there even really evil? And, and so there's all these attacks and assault on truth and we know that the enemy... Uh, the Bible says he is the father of lies. So this is the, the very thing. Truth is the very thing that he is coming to attack and assault. It, this can come in uh, all kinds of different forms. You know, ad adultery is wrong. The Bible says that. But what if we're married and we choose? We just, we, it's okay if we have, you know, in, in our marriage, it's okay if we have different girlfriends and boyfriends and we, we just said that's okay and so in our perspective and well no actually it's still wrong there's absolute truth the reality is that is wrong and God designed it to be a certain way even though you changed your mind and even though you think you've agreed to it and that that's okay there's absolutely going to be ramifications for that that behavior, that decision, it's going to cause hurt between the two of you. It's going to cause discord. It's going to, it's going to, de, it's going to divide you. It, it is not the way God designed it, and he designed it to be a specific way. And that is absolute, and what you change, believe, whatever, it doesn't affect that. Okay? That goes with anything in the Bible. It goes to, to our sexuality. It goes to murder. It goes to stealing. It goes to all these things. There's absolute truth. And, and here's what happens. And I want to spend just a, a minute kind of setting the, the groundwork for this before we, before we dive in. Uh, one guy said that the world defines truth like this. It's just the way I think it should be. I think it should be this way. And we see this next generation just saying, I think life should be this way. And we should be able to be whatever, whoever, and do whatever we want. And like that's the way it should be. And, and, we, and, and we might believe that. You might believe it. But it doesn't change the truth. The danger of discarding absolute truth. Uh, Jesus kind of laid it out like this. Those who hear my words and obey them are like the wise man who built on a rock. Storms will come and their house will stand. Those who hear my words and don't obey them are like the man who built his house on the sand. And the storms came and washed the sand away and his house collapsed. John Piper kind of, he, he had a great little short video on this, and just to paraphrase what he said, here's the danger. If you and me are arguing about what's right or wrong, and there's no third party, there's no, nothing we can reference, there's not something above us that defines right and wrong, then who decides what is right or wrong? And this is what John Piper said, it, it comes down to power. 
It comes, if I'm more powerful than you, then I can implement what I think is right. And, that be, and, and so this is, the, this is where we are at in America, okay, just for a minute. Is if the majority all of a sudden decides something is right or wrong, then they have the power and it becomes the thing. I can give you some comfort in that. Is that just like the purse, no matter what they believe... There is absolute truth of what is right and what is wrong. Okay? So you don't have to get all, we don't have to be as worked up as we have been because this is what the world is going to do. It is broken. It doesn't have Jesus. It doesn't know Jesus. The danger is when the church gets in the middle of it and starts thinking one way or the other. And we, and we forget the fact that there is absolute truth and here's the thing what we want to do what what the church tends to do is get into this argument and this debate and try to change things through politics and through through government and policies and all these things none of which are bad in and of themselves but jesus came to change the world one heart at a time through the gospel that is the chief end and role of the church we want to change a town a place a country it's by finding broken people and saying jesus loves you and let Jesus get a hold of their heart. One heart at a time is how you change and transform a place. But this is what happens. It's, it, it turns to tyranny. Okay, that, that It comes to, to a tyrannical form. If we don't have any reverence for what is right or wrong and that there's some absolute truth. Let's read this scripture. The verse before what we're talking about today, Paul said this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And this is verse 14 we're looking at today. Stand firm then. Pretty pointed direction to you and me to do something. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I'll read the rest of this verse with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That's going to come next week. Today we're talking about standing firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. The, the stand firm, uh, the, the, the word in the Greek, it means to take up or maintain a specified position or posture. It, it, it conveys this idea of digging in, of standing Firm. I, I want to remind you, as I say that, Paul gives this, this, us this direction. You've got to stand firm. You've got to hold your ground. But we can't forget what he said back in verse 10 when he said, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Sounds a little confusing at first. It's kind of contradictory. Like, well, do I stand in the Lord or do I stand firm on my own? Am I the one who got to do this or is God doing it? And it's really neither of those. It doesn't mean that, that you do everything and God does nothing. It doesn't mean that, that, that God does everything or that you do it. Well, you know what I'm trying to say. I can't remember what I said first. doesn't mean I didn't do everything. I do everything. God does nothing. doesn't mean God does everything and I do nothing. Y'all have seen the t-shirts. You probably heard the, just let go and let God, man. Just let go and let God. Paul says that's a dangerous, a dangerous thought process. He says we're to be on the offense that we are to stand on the foundation of the mighty power of God, that that is the place in which we stand and we fight. 
Let we stand firm, we dig in. Think about mighty power. Another translation says the power of his might. Might is kind of like, it's this unrealized power that God has. It's kind of looking like a man, not me, that has all kinds of muscles. Like a big muscular guy, you know. You've seen those. You don't see one right now. But it, you've seen those guys with a lot of muscles. You're like, you look at him, you're like, I know that guy could tear a phone book in half. That's his might. That's his potential. He's reserving the power, but he's got it. And that's the might of God. He, there's times he reserves his power, and he doesn't display it all. And then there's a time where you see uh, that, that person begin to do something. They lift a weight. They do something that I couldn't do. And you're like, God, that's power being displayed. And I think what Paul's saying right here is like, you are in Christ, and he has unlimited power, and you're walking around like you're defeated. That there's all this, unreserved, this reserved power that you could stand in and put to work. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Stand firm. It's really by faith we rely on His might and His power. We rely more and more, and then we do the work. We do the work in His power. Then let's talk about the belt of truth. Uh, what is truth? Um, man, it's essential to the well-being of life and civilization. There has to be something absolute. It can't be all relative. You can't have, you can't just, if we all are just picking out and choosing our own ways and things and what's real, then nothing is real, and there's no reason for any laws or rules. You can't even make a claim that, that murder is wrong. Where do you even make that claim from? Because I don't think it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I mean, we can't have that. Well, we've got to have laws. Well, what are the laws? Where do you get who? There has to be a basis from which we set a moral code and compass to have civilization. And, and so this is truth. And I told you earlier, culture is going to, they assault the idea that absolute truth does not exist. They get offended if you say, no, this is really the truth. Be your authentic self. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches to surrender ourselves, to die to ourselves. This, this idea from the culture has been pushed. We are at the highest teen suicide rates in the history of them keeping it. Highest rates of teen anxiety in the history that records have been kept. We see that people aren't even getting married anymore. Marriage is just a thing. It's optional. If you want to do it, you do what? You know, like, it's just become this thing. People aren't doing it. Actually, uh, 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 there's a there's foresee what the rate we're on. There will be people will be having babies at a lower rate than people are dying because we've abandoned absolute truth, the reality of what God teaches us and how to do it and how to do life and do life together. I want to give you so how do I do it? How do I, and I think Paul's really saying, man, if you're going to walk in, walk with Jesus, you better know what's real. You better know what's real around you. I want to give you two foundations that we can stand on for truth, that we can know how can I know what's real. Um, and, and the first one, if you'll just you, you just bear with me for just a minute, 
this is a little bit different. It's not necessarily in the scripture, but it is the scripture. The first foundation of truth you're going to have in your life, where do I find what's real? I'm going to say the Bible, okay? And I want you to hold on for just a minute. And I don't want you to say, yeah, I believe the Bible because it says I should believe it. Okay, I want to take you a little bit further from that. Because it's important. We've got some young people in here, maybe in college or getting ready to go to college. And man, when I got to college, uh, it was a full-on assault on Christianity. It was a lot of atheists and my professors, people assaulting the, the integrity of the Scripture. I wasn't ready to defend any of it. I, I was like, what? Wait, you don't think the Bible's real? Like all these things came, came at me at once. And, uh, and so I want to tell you, we're, we're going to take just a minute and say, why do I believe this book? Why would I accept it, and why does it matter? Um, because, you know, if I met a stranger, if you met a stranger and like, hey, it's good to meet you, can I have your debit card and pen, please? You can trust me. Would you be like, oh, yeah, you said I could trust you, so here. And so there could be a lot of books that would say, just trust me, I'm the word of God, just trust me. And so I want, us to, uh, I want us to take it just a little bit further now. I want, I want just a, an intellectual practice just for a minute. What is this book? Where did it come from? Why is it important? Why do we have uh, 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 10 copies in our homes and most of them have dust on them? You remember, you were a kid, you went to your mama and papa's house and they had one on the coffee table that could be used as a boat anchor. You remember that? And you'd open it up, it's like calligraphy, and it was words you couldn't even pronounce. You're like, what is this? They're like, that's the word of God. And you're like, what does that mean? I can't even read the word of God. And so, so we have this book, we have this thing that we take for granted. That if you go to China, the, the, there's people in prison because they own one. And man, if they get a hold of a full copy, they memorize it. Because they're like, that's true. This is what I've hungered for my whole life. I've not seen it. I've never seen anything revealed in such a way as that. I've got to memorize it because it's illegal to have it and they're going to take it from me. And you find people in China in prison that have memorized the entire thing. And we don't. We can't even set a reminder on the Bible Gateway app to do our devotional every day. Why does it matter? What is the book? Just to give you some facts and information, there's 66 different books in this Bible. It's written by 40 different people, written over 1,500 years. There's some beautiful things about this book. It's an amazing book. 1,189 chapters, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. It's a, it's a collection of writings from 40 different people all put together. And, and so why is this important? And, and there's, there's a couple things um, from that I, I want to just... This is a, a display at the Ark Encounter, if you've ever been there, where they say, man, why is the Bible true? Why, why is it true? Why, why, would, why should we accept this as truth, as the standard? And, and, and so the, they've got some, some great ideas here. I don't have all the words here. There's a few that I just want to point out here. One, the Bible is unique and unified. You find 40 authors over 1,500 years 
that all write this unified story that is that has no contradictions, that things line up together, that, that this is all a unified message. It's like one grand story. It's really, hey, can I give you a secret? There's one author. That used 40 different people to share his messages with all of mankind. And you have one in your hands, on your phone. Revelation from the one who made you. It is not some archaic thing that sat on your grandmother's coffee table. It is the truth, the foundation that we rest everything else on. It's unique. It's unified. It's been faithfully passed down from the beginning, from the early church. They passed these specific letters and, and, and passages down as the authentic revelation through the apostles from God from century to century. There, were, there was times uh, during the Dark Ages and, and, and that the Bible that, that only the, the priest in the Catholic Church had a copy of it. And they wouldn't even do it in the language of the people. that could, They couldn't even read it themselves. This thing has survived the assault of centuries. And you still have one in your hands. It is full uh, of, of prophecy. A quarter of the book talks about the future from when it was written. 25% of the book talks about the future. 1,800 different prophecies in this book. Nearly 1,000 of them have been confirmed and fulfilled. It's been authentic. It has been proven. Man, it said this was going to happen, and it happened. There's the idea that the New Testament writers all were martyred for the things they wrote. I'm not going to write a fictional story and claim it's true and let you kill me as I'm claiming it's true for claiming it's true. <laughs> they went to the grave because they believed this. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Jesus himself quoted the Old Testament. We've seen its life-changing impact for 2,000 years. You've seen people begin to read it or, or sit in the preaching of it and hear the truth that's within it, and you've seen broken, stone-cold hearts surrender to the grace and mercy of God and never be the same. You've, you've seen it in your own life, maybe. You've seen it in a spouse. You've seen it in a dad or a mom or a grandmother. I saw it. I, I didn't get to see it, but I've heard stories of my own grandfather who was an alcoholic his entire life. Got in his 70s and got saved in the old regular Baptist church. And, it, and my grandmother taught him to read in his 70s with the Bible, and he began preaching. Went and found all his moonshine and his liquor that he had hidden in the garden and everywhere, poured it all out. Now, probably went further than I'd go because, you know, they don't believe in music. So he played mandolin, he played bluegrass music. He, he, he sold them all. You've seen the power, the transformation that comes from the truth that's in this book. I want you to hear this one video, just a couple minutes about the integrity of the original 
uh, of writings that we, we stand upon here that we call the Bible. Have you ever heard someone claim that the Bible's been through so many changes and so many revisions that we really can't know what the original message was? Let's use some coffee beans to illustrate a major problem with that argument. And what we're gonna do is look at the manuscript evidence for some ancient writings compared to the manuscript evidence for the New Testament. That is, we're gonna be looking at the handwritten copies made before the days of the printing press for each of these works. For example, for Tacitus, he wrote his famous work called The Annals around the year AD 100. And the earliest copy we have for that comes from about 750 years later. So there's a 750 year gap between when it was written and our earliest copy. And how many copies do we have? Just two. So let's put two beans in this cup to represent those manuscripts. For Plato's dialogues, there's a 1,200 year gap and we have just seven copies. For the histories by Herodotus, there's a 1,300 year gap with just nine copies. And we have 10 copies of Caesar's Gallic Wars after a 900 year gap. Now, very few people question whether we have the original message of these writings, yet they constantly attack the Bible on this point. And yet the manuscript evidence we have for these is so minimal and the gap between when they were written and when their earliest copies come from is enormous. So what about the New Testament? Well, it was written in the first century AD and the earliest manuscript evidence we have for it comes within 50 years of that time. Now, how many copies do we have? Well, there are nearly 6,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts and they average about 450 pages each. Looks like I should have used a bigger cup. But you know what? That's just the Greek manuscripts. When we count the other languages like Latin, Coptic, and Armenian, there's another 20,000 manuscripts. As I mentioned earlier, critics and skeptics rarely question whether we have the original message of these writings, and yet they frequently attack the Bible on this point. You know, it really just shows their bias. But when we look at the evidence before us, we see that their arguments really don't amount to a hill of beans. To stand firm with the belt of truth, first foundation that we have is scripture is the Bible. The thing you hold in your hands, the thing you, uh, um, you have multiple copies of that you can find in all kinds of different translations in its original form. It's the Word of God and it is a foundation of truth that we can stand upon. Second thing, this is it. This is the Word of God. It's a beautiful story story that has a central character in it and his name is Jesus Jesus told his disciples as he was getting ready to crucify he said I'm going away to prepare a place for you and they said well, Philip I mean Thomas says no we don't know the way Lord he says, we have no idea where you're going so how can we know the way? Think about the simplicity of this. 
than Jesus' response where he says, I am the way. You're looking for something real in your life? I am the truth. The absolute reality and, and, and confirmation of all the promises of God that ties this entire scripture together. The revelation that I would be crucified from thousands of years before earlier. That I, that happened, that I would be born of a virgin. And that happened, that I would be born in Bethlehem. That happened, that I would be, be buried in a, in a burial grave. That, that happened, that no bone would be broken. And that happened, and that you would be resurrect, I would be resurrected on the third day that I would live again. And that happened. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the story that he told about the wise man who built on the rock and the, the man that built on the sand. You know, I, 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 oh, you always think of that story and you think, man, but the guy when he was building on the sand, he knew from the beginning that probably wouldn't make it. But I don't think he did. He was kind of like me a couple weeks ago. We've been moving, you know, we, we, we got a house in town and we're now living on 4th Street over here in town and um, thankfully, we had we had about six eight weeks to kind of move our stuff, and so we did it kind of slowly. You know, every time we get home, we got we got this little uh, uh, front stoop at the front of our house that when I lay the tailgate down on my truck and I back up to it, it's like perfectly level. So every time I get home, I just back up right there, let the tailgate down, and that evening I'll be like, I think that nightstand could go, and this could go. We just slowly kind of throw stuff in when we come to work the next day. I go unload it and. Uh, we just slowly moved like that. Well, about two weeks ago, I'd done that. I backed up, and I'd put some stuff in the truck, and Bethany was doing something else. I thought, I'll just, here's a love seat. I, I got room, perfect room for that left. So I got the love seat out the front door and got one end of it sat up in, in the bed of the truck. I thought, this is easy. Got it in there. Just going to push it in. So I just started pushing, walking. But this time, I had not backed all the way up to the stoop. I left about a foot between my tailgate and the stoop. And I'm walking, so confident I'm getting ready to step into the bed of the truck. And like that, I was on the ground. Like, it's a full-size truck. That's about three and a half, three, four feet. I don't know. You see, this is how the enemy works. Like, he'll have you believe in something. And there will become a moment where instantly your eyes are open. I hope it's on this side. I hope it's while you're breathing that you realize the truth. Because I was walking, and man, I thought I was going to hit the bed of the truck, and, I, and immediately I, I was screaming. <laughs> Because like, my shin hit the tailgate. Like, this is no preparation whatsoever. Are you with me for just a minute? I was like, bad, bad. And I was coming in like, coming. I was like, I broke my leg. I broke it. I know it's broke. I was laying on the couch. Like, get an ice pack. Like, I, I mean, it hurt. My ankle hurt. My, my shin hurt. It still hurts. It's blue. It's been yellow. Man, 
please know the thing in which you are building your life upon. Don't hit the ground and find out the hard way. We have the scripture. It paints this beautiful story of a man named Jesus who is the second foundation that you have to rest upon. So truth is not a thing or a saying, it's a person. In him we have all our hope. We have all our peace. And you say, so Jared, how do I put on this belt of truth if I'm going to war every day? You see, I, I don't know a lot about purses. I mean, I'd asked people this morning, what kind of purse is this? I thought I knew, but just to make sure. But probably people who know purses. The, the way you, you, you determine a fake is by knowing in, intimately the real thing. Are you with me for a minute? Like, you know what the real thing is like. So if you want to know what's real, get to know this man, Jesus, intimately. Like, spend time with him. Read his words. Study his words. Apply his words. Put your trust in him. Repent of your sins and turn him. Maybe you've never done that today. Maybe you spend your whole life just, just at the whim. And I, I want to just give you this opportunity to surrender your life to truth. This morning, the reality that Jesus loves you, that God sent him so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. This morning, on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Are you with me for a minute? All others are...